Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win! Got it! He broke his head! Follow me! Follow me with freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Justin and Suffering Podcast. We're your sports talk, a long-suffering fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are officially in March. College basketball season kicking into high gear. Selection Sunday is less than a week away. I'm going to be joined in just a bit by a good friend of the podcast, Zach Brazil of the New York Post. We're going to catch up on the world of college basketball. We should know some of the big picture headlines and some of the locals, how they're faring in terms of, you know, are we making a tournament? Are we changing coaches? What's going on here? We'll talk about all that with Zach in just a bit. We're also going to do our Oscar preview this week. Our annual tradition here will be joined by Barstool Sports' John Stank, our resident film critic. We're going to break down all the categories, the films to watch here, the contenders of the awards. That's all coming up here in just a bit. You guys hear the Justin the Suffering Podcast. Feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all visual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering your favorite podcast platforms and find episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starting as well. Make the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the conversations with uh, John Stanko and Zach Brazil are going to be up on the YouTube channel again. Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. I'll give you the big picture, the overview of what's going on in the world of college basketball here. That's coming up here right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. Opening tip time here. Talking college basketball, we officially enter March. So the casual sports fans are getting now getting back into the sports here from March Madness. If you're in that category, and there's a lot of you who are, welcome back, first of all. You missed a hell of a season. It's been so chaotic this year that the preseason number one, who was North Carolina last year, remember, we got to the Final Four, lost to the Kansas Jayhawks National Championship game. They're fighting for the NCAA tournament lives here. They've bizarrely struggled through the season. You look at bracketology boards right now, they are right on that cut line. Whether, you know, they just make it, they just miss, there is a lot wrong with North Carolina this year. It's not just them. A lot of it's just the powerhouse have had their issue this season. Gonzaga, which has been, you know, up at number one, number two most of the last years, they've been a bit down by their standards. You look at the top 25 polls, you'll see right now, Duke, not ranked. North Carolina, not ranked. Villanova, not ranked. Michigan State, not ranked. Kentucky, down in the 20s, so on and so forth. There's a lot of parity in the course of sport this year. You have your teams like your Alabama, Houston, Purdue. They've been the big three so far. Look like the best teams in the country, certain points here. All their strong points, all of their flaws. There is not a dominant team here say this. it's them or the field, like we had a couple years ago with Gonzaga and Baylor or the field. It's not that this year. The Big 12 has been an absolute beast. They are the league to watch this year. All 10 teams in the, in the league are tournament worthy in terms of, you know, on for, court ability. They have four national title contenders in Kansas, Texas, K-State, Baylor. But, you know, like, the, strength, the depth of this league is incredible. Oklahoma is in last place in the league. They're below 500. Like, if they put them in another league, they're probably a bubble team. Texas Tech trying to make a late run. They're starting 0-8 in the league. They're trying to make a push. This league is incredibly deep and in beating each other up. A lot of quality basketball teams. The Big East have seen some surprises this year. Remember back in December, UConn was one of the last undefeated teams in the country. I thought they were going to be great. They fall in the middle of the pack in the conference. 
Marquette won the regular season title. Hein Shaka Smart, his second year there. So he's been good. Xavier has been good as well. They've been to the top of the league. Villanova has stumbled a bit. They had some injury issues. Jay Rice retirement threw things into flux. Kyle Neptune came out from Fordham to be the head coach. They are peaking a little bit right now, though. They got Justin Moore back from the ACL injury. They have a dominant young freshman in the mix who could be NBA lottery pick. So don't be shocked if Villanova makes it run the Big East tournament. The ACC, shocker. They're down again. A bunch of seemingly mediocre teams. Virginia Miami are probably the two most talented teams in the league conference. Clay Lincoln run. Pitts on its way back up here. Duke's like the tournament would probably be like an 8 9 C kind of area here. But this is the ACC. This is March. Don't be shocked if they somehow pull another Mars Miracle and they have a bunch of teams to even the tournament. We have this whole religious history. Healthy. Oh, the ACC wasn't so bad this year. You know, they got four teams in, this, in the Elite Eight. Like, yeah, it was that bad. They just have to get hot at the right time. Big Ten's also been a muddled mess. Purdue has been the best team all year, but they have struggled in the league. They've lost five games of league play. Indiana, Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois have all looked the part of teams. You know, they get things right. They can go deep in the tournament. This also could be a situation where any of those teams could just get bounced the first weekend. Would not be shocked if that happens here. Pac-12, seemingly down two teams, two top teams here. UCLA, Arizona both have shot the one line. UCLA more so. Top one, say a bunch of teams trying to get the third bit out of the league. Right now, it's I'd say the top two contenders there are UCLA and Arizona State. Both had their moments. Both had their flaws. You have a couple of th- teams, you know, with uh, sleeper potential could, you know, messing up the conference tournament. That's a lot of fun there. SEC is pretty stacked again. Alabama has been the front runner. Tennessee, one of these best defensive teams. Kentucky is peak at the right time, which is good. There's a stretch in mid-January. Like they were not going to make the tournament. They have really turned their ship around here. You also have Texas A&M, Auburn, Arkansas. Those teams, you feel like, are capable of making noise. They get the right draws. The mid-major field is also interesting as well. You have some capable teams that spent time in the polls here. Florida Atlantic is dominating Conference USA. They might get an at-large, but they don't win the league. Charleston's had a long time ranked. They went 27-3 during the regular season. They had to try and knock off Hofstra in the, in the CAA tournament. San Diego State and the Mountain West can send a four teams in the field. You also have a wild champ week ahead. Plus, you have your local angles intrigue as well. He will get to those in a bit with Zach Brazil. Or we have, obviously... Fordham in the A-10, by the way, won 23 games. They are the number three seed in the, in the A-10 tournament. If Fordham makes the tournament, it'll be a lot of fun. Hofstra is trying to hold off uh, the CAA uh, in, from Charleston. They will be our 13 seed. Most souls are projecting that they get in the tournament. Iona out of the MAC. They are peaking at the right time. See, they could win the three games down in Atlantic City, get to the tournament. You have a lot of craziness set up here, starting this week with Champ Week, NCAA tournament beyond that. We'll have full March Madness coverage on the podcast starting next week with Troy Moriello from the Seeing Red podcast and the and the and the uh, Carton Show. We'll talk to him in a bit, but we'll catch up next with Zach Braziller from the New York Post. Get some lay of the lands to get ready for Championship Week. That's coming up here right after this. All right, we are back here. We are in March, getting ready for Champ Week here. Selection Sunday, just under a week away at date of the podcast drought here. Joining us today to guest cat up here in the world of college basketball, uh, the New York Post College Hoops guy, Zach Brazil, a great friend of the podcast. Zach, welcome. How are you? Good, man. How's it going? Going pretty good. It's a big college hoops guy. This season's been a lot of fun. I feel like this has been complete chaos, I think, since the tip um, back in November. Yeah. I mean, no question about it, you know. I mean, I, I've been saying this for, for really since 
you know, early January that there isn't a team in the country that if they didn't make the second weekend, I'd be shocked. And I still feel that way. You know, you have some obviously really good teams, you know, in Alabama, Kansas, teams of that ilk, but I still feel that way. I think it's completely wide open. There isn't a team in the country, if they didn't make the second weekend, that would shock me. I, I think that's that depth. That's also, there's no super team. You know, it, it, it's, it, to me, it has the potential just to be a fantastic tournament this year. Absolutely it does here. And I say you watch a lot of college basketball here. You've seen a lot of teams here. Like everybody you've watched, who would you say is the best team like right now as it records? I was, this could change in about like three days, but like just based on what you've seen thus far. You know, I think the two best teams right now are, are Kansas and Alabama. You have to look at just at what Kansas has done in, in an absolute just bear of a conference in the Big 12. Alabama ha- has been absolutely fantastic despite, you know, obviously the, you know, what's going on with their star freshman, Brandon Miller. And to me, those are the two best teams, but neither one of those teams are, 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 are superpowers. Look, Alabama got wild by Oklahoma. Kansas has is playing great right now, but they had some trouble early in the year in, in the, in, you know, with so many of these teams in the Big 12. It, it's, those are my two picks, but you know, I'll say this: if I was gonna, I you could, I would give you three teams, and I would take the field, and I feel comfortable with the field. I just think there there's that much depth. I think there are that many teams that can make the Final Four. You know, you you can go through different conferences. You could go out west. You could go east. Go south. To me, there's just there's just so much depth and so much balance. You know, like look. Kansas is just really good. They're going to be a one seed. They have the most quad one wins in the country. But their second round game, they're going to be playing a, a good team. You know, I, I don't think you're going to be seeing second round games where the top seed is going to be winning by 25, 30 points. It, it, to me, it's just not going to happen. It, it, it's just there is, there is, you know, part of it is, you know, a lot of the best talents aren't playing college basketball. You look at, you know, the draft, there are, I think, maybe four out of the top five projected guys aren't playing in the sport, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is, is the transfer portal, which has balanced things out somewhat. But for whatever the reason, they're just to me there isn't that line of demarcation where it's pretty clear who the four or five best teams of the country are. Yeah, absolutely. Here and obviously, before we go local here, are there any sort of storylines, big picture aside from the just general like craziness that really call your attention? I know for me, I feel like just how insane the Big Twelve has been my big storyline. I've been watching. Yeah. Look. You know, I think you have the Big 12 just being ridiculous, and I, I think the Big 12 is going to be an a, a absolute monster in this tournament. These are teams that have been beating each other up all year, and they're just going to be so battle-tested by the time the tournament comes. And then I think you look out west. I think you have some real, you have some really, really good teams out west. Arizona, UCLA, even Gonzaga. I know people are down because Gonzaga might not be quite as good as it's been the last few years. But you never count out Gonzaga. We all know how great of a coach Mark Few is. Drew Timmy is a fantastic player. You know, they're still, you know, they're probably going to be a three or four seed and they're going to be very, very dangerous. And, you know, it's been a long time since the, since the team out West ha- has won a national championship. But yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that's fair to me though. The My number one storyline of the season is just the balance and the depth and the lack of a, a super team. And look, maybe we're wrong. Maybe, you know, sometimes you go into the tournament, you say, oh, it's going to be wide open. And then you get three or four one seeds go to the final four. I just don't see that happening. I think there are sleepers everywhere. You know, I take take a look at a team like TCU. You know, it was probably not going to be more than a five, a five or a six seed, 
And to me, they're an absolute, they're a team that could absolutely get to a final four. Creighton is probably going to be a sixth seed, maybe even a seventh seed. They're a team that could absolutely get to a final four. You know, you have teams like that, you know, even Kentucky, who's really, I know they lost to Vanderbilt, but has played much better late. And Kentucky is obviously a team that has the talent to go really far. So that to me is my number one storyline is just the balance. And, you know, is that going to bear out in the NCAA tournament where we're going to get crazy upsets? Yeah, I feel like for the first time in a long time, I want to say, considering I feel like every major team has a flaw of some kind, I feel like this NCAA tournament more than others is going to be very much like matchup based where like, for example, Kansas, like they're really good, but like if they run into a team with like a lot of bigs, they could be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, as good as Kansas is, they clearly have issues inside. Um, Alabama, as consistent and as, you know, as tough as they are, um, aren't, you know, aren't unbeatable. You know, we've seen it. And they've kind of struggled a little. Maybe some of that is, you know, fallout from the Miller stuff and all the, you know, all the off the court, you know, attention that, that they're getting now. Maybe you want to chalk something up to that and, you know, it's not a team that's used to being in this. It's not a program that's used to being in this limelight when it comes to basketball. You know, no football it is, but this is obviously a different animal for Alabama. You know, I mean, a team like Purdue is probably going to be a one seed, and I, I probably would pick against Purdue to get to the Final Four. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not very high on Purdue at all. We all saw what happened to them last year in the Sweet 16, losing to St. Peter's. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, every team has weaknesses. And, you know, you're going to gonna find, I guarantee, I will be stunned if we don't get a, a lower than four seed in the Final Four. I just think someone's going to get hot, a team that's kind of dealt with injuries or just hasn't quite clicked, and, and people are going to kind of look back like, how do we kind of forget about them going to the tournament? Yeah, that's for sure here. Let's go local angles here. I know you wrote a story recently about St. John's and how, like, if this thing doesn't work out for them this year, that the time has come for them to go from Mike Anderson and look for a uh, higher grade coach here. So, do you feel like the administration feels the same way that if like, they don't go on this run here and win the Big East tournament and get the auto bid that he's out? Yeah, I mean, look, that that's kind of the expectation from people around the program and just people in the city in the know that that they're going to move on. He's got a huge buyout; it's around ten million. I've been told that they will go into the endowment to do that. And look, it's not all about Mike Anderson. This is a program that hasn't won the NCAA, NCAA tournament game since 2000. They've made, they've made bad decisions. I actually don't mind that Mike Anderson hired. You know, he, he's a guy who had a lot of success. I know he's from the South. And his first two years were pretty good. They were a tough team to play against. They really pressured you. You know, the second year, they made the, they made the, they finished fourth in the Big East. And really, they should have made the tournament. If it was a normal season where the Big East had its normal metrics and normal non-conference schedule, to me, they, they would have made the tournament. That obviously wasn't the case. They lost to the quarterfinals to Seton Hall and, you know, didn't get in. But the last two years, with more talent than he had his first year, it's gotten progressively worse. They don't beat good teams. They're undisciplined. To me, you know, I wrote, if the school doesn't make a change, they're sending a bad message to the fan base that winning isn't important. I get it's a lot of money that they own. But St. John's, you know, it's just, to me, the writing is on the wall here where it's now two years in a row where they had tournament expectations and they're not even going to get close. And that, to me, just, just can't happen. It, and it'd be one thing if he was a young coach and you were saying, well, let's write it out. He's going to learn. But he, he's 63. He, the last time he made the NCAA tournament was 2018. That's the last time one of his teams had been ranked. In, in the world of high major basketball and the transfer portal, that's an eternity. Five straight years without an NCAA tournament bid is a long, long time. 
And I just don't see any evidence that it will get better. And that, you know, is kind of my overriding point. You know, there's a lot of, you know, St. John's fans obviously want to hire Rick Pitino. I would do that if I was them. It doesn't sound like they will, barring, you know, a, a 180-degree change here from the administration. I think the move is to go get yourself a young coach, a young, hungry guy who's going to work his you-know-what off, who's going to pr- bring some energy into this program. You know, St. John's, it's never going to be 1985 again. That, I mean, I, I just think that's a fair assumption. What St. John's should be doing is trying to emulate Providence and Seattle and be a team that makes the tournament two out of every three years, you know, could win a game sometimes. And that to me is not unrealistic. Seton Hall is a tougher job than Seton Hall. I mean, St. John's is a, Seton Hall is a tougher job than St. John's. You know, they don't have New York City, they don't have the Garden, and that they figured it out with Kevin Willard. Now you have Shaheen Holloway. I know they're gonna be an NXT team this year, but I still think Holloway's a really good coach and they're gonna be fine. You know, you see what Ed Cooley's done at Providence. That to me should be if you're not gonna hire Patino, which is to me, which is the way they should go. You go with the young coach. You know, no more retreads, no more, you know, no more sticks of alums and guys who've never coached before. Go get yourself a young, hungry coach who's going to put his all into this and figure it out. Yeah, I agree with that assessment here. And I'm, I think free advice from us, I think, in terms of like, and you know, they don't have to listen to us, obviously, because they make their own decisions here. But like, whoever this new coach is, like, they really need to get out of this habit of scheduling like six, like, terrible, like, quad four games at home in non-conference. I feel like every, that's the pattern the Anderson use. They're never ready for conference play, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Now, look, they next year's schedule is already approved. They have a home-and-home coming with Texas Tech. They're going to play them at the Garden. They're in the Charleston Classic, which is going to be a very good tournament next year. They're going to have Big East and Big 12. So right there you have, I think, six, to me, very, you know, six high-major tough games. Now, to me, the, the key with the schedule is don't fill it up with sub-300 teams. You know, fill it up with teams that are a little better and uh, maybe in the 200s, maybe low 100s. But, yeah, I mean, scheduling, though, to me is is kind of, you know, is, is on the back burner. you got to find the right coach. They, 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 they really don't have an identity. You know, in Anderson's first two years, it was pressure and pressing and 40 minutes of hell. And the last two years, they've really gotten away from that. They really don't press, press you much. The pressure is, you know, is very inconsistent. You know, the, the big thing with them this year is like you watch them; they'll give away a handful of possessions on each end of the floor, whether it's missed assignments, whether it's you know token pressure where they give up open threes, it's bad shot selection. You know, anyone can take any shot at any time, and you know, unless you got like top ten talent, that's just not going to win you games in the Big East. It's just it's not going to happen. Um, they need to make a change. I think they will. And this is, like I said, this is not, like, a, to me, a strictly Mike Anderson thing. Yes, the last years he has not done a good job. But this is about the pro- this is about the program over the last two decades just being a mess. It's about bad hires. It's about, you know, still having bottom-run facilities. And they got to fix that. And to me, the way you do that, if you're, you know, the quick fix is Patino. You know, I, I have no doubt that he would really be good here, that he would work. And obviously, the guy, does, that's all he does is he works. And, you know, golf. And, but look, if you don't want to go that route, you hire a young, hungry guy who's going to really work, who's going to, you know, kind of change the culture. And you hear things last year, the culture has not been good. There. So it, it, look, it's going to be fascinating to see what direction they went. They go and they brought in the new president two years ago, father Brian Shanley, who was the man who hired at Kuwait Providence. You know, he's, he was really kind of turned around that program. Providence was really in a rut, and now they're obviously one of the best programs again in the Big East. 
And a big part of why they, they brought Tyler Shelley in is they wanted someone to who really knew what he was doing to elevate this program. Basketball is so important at St. John's to, to keep for the for the university, and they really need to figure this out. Yeah, they do. And speaking of programs, trying to figure out right now, Seton Hall, year one of the Shaheen Holloway era, obviously – they were in the ball mixed up about like a couple weeks ago. They've lost five of six as of data recording here. It was that they need the auto bid here, but based on what you've seen out of them, how do you feel like year one for Holloway's going down there? Yeah, I mean, there have been some good moments. There have been some bad ones. I, nothing has changed. You know, nothing I've seen this year has changed my opinion. And I think Shaheen Holloway's a terrific coach and is going to be great at Seton Hall. There really wasn't the talent there this year. You know, not having Alexis yet in the where the injury has been a killer. It's left really Tyree Samuel out there on an island inside. Um, you know, you've had a lot of injuries. Now, Kadari Richmond, who was playing so well this year, is hurt. You know, Dre Davis, the, the transfer from Louisville, has missed a lot of time, and he's been a very good player for them. They're going to be an NIT team, and that's really what I picked at the beginning of the season, and I think that would be a, you know, a fine first year. I, I really do. I, I understand Seton Hall fans had crazy expectations after what Holloway did at St. Peter's, but just be patient. I have no, I have no doubt he's going to get things going there. I understand recruiting isn't great, but right now you go out, you you, you keep a lot of this core, you bring in a few guys from the portal, and Seton Hall could be a tournament team next year. Yeah, I think one team I'm confused about trying to figure out what to make of them as they go down the stretch here is Rutgers. Obviously, they had some high highs here. They won at Purdue. They have good wins on their resume. They looked like they were a lock for the turn a few weeks ago. Now, going down the stretch, they've lost five out of seven, two of them to Nebraska at home and at Minnesota. Like, if you're a Rutgers fan, should you be, should you be sweating this out yet, or do you think they still got a good shot to get in the field pretty safely? I still say they get in, but I can see them going to Dayton. You know, they, they have a lot of bad losses. I, they, it is a weird resume, because like you mentioned, they, they have some great wins. Obviously, winning at Purdue is phenomenal. But they have some. They have four bad losses. They have four sub quad two losses, which is a lot for a tournament team. That said, to me, the bubble is so weak. Rutgers metrics are still good. They have high quality wins. I still think they're okay. But they can't. You know, if they lose Sunday Northwestern and then lose their first game in the Big Ten tournament, then they could miss. Absolutely. To me, one more win and they should be okay. Now they may wind up in Dayton. The committee might say, "Look, let's you know," might might say. This team has a lot of bad losses. Like they should have to earn their way in. But I still say, unless they lose their next two worst cases, they I'm still I'm still confident. And you know, there was a time this year I thought Rutgers had a chance to be a four or five seed. And it's you know, since the lot mag went out at, with that injury, it's really been crippling. And this team did not have great depth. They had basically, you know, a strong rotation of seven with him, and without him, it just it, it's really kind of crumbled. Cole Mulcahy has struggled some. It's a team that's got to kind of got to get going here. And they haven't been great at home, which is really a stunner because they've been such a dominant home team over the last few years. But with all that said, I still say, Dayton, I still would be surprised if they don't get in. But they better be careful. Yeah, I think the highest upside team in this area, I think you would agree with me, is definitely UConn. Because, I mean, we saw the 14-0 start. They had that weird three-week blip from the end of December to mid-January. They were really off their game. It's Got things on, on track since that. Look like they're heading towards like a four or five area kind of seed as going in here. But how do you think this team is under right now? Especially if the access is very high over there. Dan, like uh, Dan Hurley's second year at UConn, so like, like early in the UConn tenure. You're like, how much do you think that program is under right now? Yeah, I look. I mean, it has been a somewhat strange year. Um, they were so good. They looked like a lot to me. You know, coming in January, I thought they were going to be the number one seed in the East, and I thought they would go through the Garden. 
that obviously that that blip really hurt them. I still think they're a four seed. I still think they can get to be a three. Their resume is really good. They have fantastic metrics. They have a ton of great wins. I mean, everyone forgets they beat Alabama on a neutral court. They beat Iowa State uh, on a, on a neutral court. So they have some really really good wins. They beat Oklahoma State at home. They crushed Marquette recently. The resume is really good. They have been a bit up and down in the league. If they have a nice Big East tournament, not even winning it, but like have a nice tournament, maybe get to the final, I, I can see them getting a three seed. The only problem is it's going to be hard for them to go through the garden here because the, the committee is not going to put a, put UConn in the East. Now, they'll go to Albany to me in the first week, and I think that's pretty pretty safe assumption, but they're not going to put UConn in the East and give them, you know, the number one seed uh, a home court disadvantage, you know, in, in, the, in the, set, the second weekend. That's the one thing where that lip has really hurt UConn. But with that said, they're going to be a three or four seed. They have a ton of obviously potential. They have depth. They play defense. And look, it's a big year for Dan Hurley. It's a big march for him. He lost as a higher seed now in the first round two consecutive years. If he ever lost in the first round again this year, that fan base would not be happy. I'm not saying his job's in jeopardy, but I still think, you know, he needs to have a good march here to really kind of show the, the direction of the program. You know, UConn, a school like UConn, it's all about March. You could have a great regular season, but if you don't do well in March, and he hasn't done well there yet, people get antsy. I still can see them having, I still can see them getting to that second weekend. I, any more than that, I'm not quite sure. I don't know if they have quite enough scoring, as good as Hawkins is, and he's, to me, an NBA player. I'm still worried about them against a really good team scoring enough. Sonogo kind of hasn't quite been himself for a while. He's, he's up and down. It'll be like they're, they're clearly one of the more fascinating teams for this month, though. Absolutely. I want to talk a little mid-major intrigue as well, because obviously last year we had the Cinderella run from St. Peter's going from the the 15 seed all the way to the Elite Eight and before they lost North Carolina here. We got three mid-majors right now are going to be high seeds in their conference tournaments here. Uh, obviously, uh, Hofstra has won the CAA regular season, beat out Charleston. They're the one seed there. Fordham right now in the top four seeds in the A-10, which is a rare, rare sight for them. I own on top of the MAC. Like, of those three, like which do you think would have the most tournament potential they get there? I'm going to go Hofstra, but barely over Iona. I love what I've seen from Hofstra. They're probably the best Hofstra defensive team in quite some time. They had some really good teams under Joe Mahalik, but they were never very good defensively. That was always kind of their their undoing in March. And this team is much better defensively. They have a real good uh, Robin to, to Aaron Estrada's Batman and Tyler Thomas, the Sacred Heart transfer. They beat College Charleston head-to-head at Charleston, which was a, obviously a terrific win. I really like them. They're tough. They can make shots. I think, and I, and with with their with their metrics, they have a shot to be a 12 seed, maybe at worst a 13 seed. And I like to look. I like Iona too. Iona's been absolutely fantastic of late. You know, they're they're not just beating teams on the match; they're blowing them out. I think this is a team that's going to be heavily motivated in that match tournament. You know, Rick Pitino the other day was 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 asked about other jobs, was saying, "I'm I'm we're putting in 12, 13 hour games here." These guys aren't concerned about anything they have passed this month. So I I really, really like both these teams. I think both these teams are making the NCAA tournament. I do. And I think both of them are going to have a shot to win a first-round game. Fordham has had a fantastic year. What Keith Ergo has done after Kyle Neptune left has been absolutely amazing. Most wins since, I believe, 1990-91 when they, under Nick Marichuk when they won 25 games. They're going to get the double bye if they win Saturday against Duquesne. 
it's a team that's really done, you know, just completely surpassed expectations. That said, I I just can't see them winning the Atlantic 10 tournament. They're the VCU blitzed them at, at VCU recently. I think Dayton also beat them up at Fordham. And those are probably those are most likely to be the top two seeds. For Fordham to have to go through both those teams, I think they ask you too much. Now it is at Barclays Center, so you're going to have a ton of Fordham alumni. At least you should have. You should have 10,000 Fordham fans in that building. There's no excuse. You, if you're a Fordham fan, you've been waiting three decades for a team <laughs> like this. Fill it up. But I just don't think this team is good enough offensively. I, they lost the other day to George Mason. They struggled with Loyola Chicago, the worst team in the Atlantic 10. I just, I just am not a believer in them to score enough to beat both those teams. Now, could they get past one of them? Yes, they could. They're going to get a double bye if they win Saturday. Puts them in a great, puts them in a good spot where you have to win three games in four days, as opposed to you know having to win four or five. I just, I just think you're, I just think it's asking a bit too much out of them to win that tournament. Now, look, if they, if you, if someone like Dayton or Reese gets picked off early, that obviously helps things, and you, and you never know. I just what I saw of VCU against what I saw of VCU against Fordham and Dayton against Fordham. I just don't think Fordham is in the same league as those two teams. Yeah, I agree with that here. And the last question is obviously we got Champ Week coming up here. There, there are a lot of different ways you could go in terms of this. You could look at some of the big leagues, say, oh, like can somebody make a run here? Seating's on the line. Like what conference tournaments you most excited for? Because obviously the Big East tournament figure is high on most people's list because it's right in this area in the Garden. Um. Yeah. Look. I. I mean, the Big East will be fun especially when you get to the quarters of the semis and the league is, the league is really top heavy this year. You have five really good teams that are tournament locked. And then you have Villanova kind of lurking in the sweeper. Villanova has been really good lately. Justin Moore is playing like Justin Moore, which I'm stunned by, you know, after he tore his ACL as I did not think he would play this year. I did not think he would even come If he did come close to the player, he is, they're clearly a, a, a potential bid stealer. And, you know, look, the, the Big East is obviously interesting. I'm really interested in the CAA. I really am. I, I think you can you can see a Hasha College Charleston final. That would be absolutely fantastic. The Big 12 is going to be an absolute treat. Just you know, when you have like 80 percent of the league as tournament teams, it's just it's just such a good league. And then maybe we get a, a third Gonzaga St. Mary's matchup, and and they split the first two. And it's those are just such fun teams to watch. They're so well coached. They're so disciplined. They run such good offense. St. Mary's is a phenomenal defensive team. That's one. That is one championship week game. I really hope we get to see for the third time. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I also am excited for the A10 because you mentioned earlier. I mean, like VCU and Dayton are the top teams in that league, but like they have not looked great overall. Like I'm not be shocked that either of them gets picked up again. Completely out of left field winner in that league. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it, the A10 is really interesting too because it's a one bid league. The, lo- the winner of that leaves on the tournament, no one else is. And that, when you have that, you know, kind of gives you that mid-major, low-major feel. And that is, you're going to get such intensity, such passion. You would think the crowds would be good. Dayton travels so well. VCU travels well. Fordham's right here. Um, it, the A-10 can be fun. I, I agree with that. I think the A-10 could be really fun. And if you ever got Fordham in the title game that Sunday, that would be, uh, I'd be really interested to see what the, kind of what that atmosphere was like yeah i hope we get some fun this weekend this week zach thanks for all the time really appreciate it before i let you out people follow you on social media keep up with your coverage the new york post um i'm on twitter at uh, ny post underscore uh, brazil at b-r-a-z-i-l-l-e thanks for having me thanks again zach looking forward to following your coverage during the ncaa tournament 
Hey, my pleasure. Thank you again. We are back here in annual tradition here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. The Oscar preview here. Joining me as always, Barstool Sports Zone resident film critic, John Stanko. Uh, Stanko, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you doing this evening? Doing pretty good. May I hear my one gripe with the Oscars this year before we get started? Sure. Start off on a high note. Let's go. <laughs> like, why is it on the same day as Selection Sunday? Uh, to be fair, I mean, it might be a good thing. People are turn on, turning on their TVs from 6 to 7 for the selection show. They hope they keep their TVs on and turn to ABC for 8 o'clock. I don't really know. But um, there aren't many that many people who have overlying demographics in terms of caring about the Oscars and then caring about Selection Sunday. I think we're maybe one, a couple of the few. Yeah. So I guess they thought it was all right. I say it's a very me problem because I feel like I'm going to have to do a lot of work that night. So I, know, I don't know when I'm getting to the Oscars. <laughs> True. I'm working a Barstool Sports Selection Sunday show, and that's going to go to at least 7, 7.30, so I will probably be watching the Oscars on my phone, on the train, on the way home. Yeah, that's certainly fun here for sure here, so let's get a dive into this one here, because I mean, obviously, I feel like there's no way the ceremony any anywhere near as horrible as last year's was. I don't think we're getting another slap. No, I don't think we're getting another slap. Um, <laughs> I'd be curious whether or not they make fun of the slap. I hope that they do. I'm not entirely sure that they will, um, but... I, Nothing is going to tap what li- what live television was last year and the internet being all watching the same exact thing at the same moment. They just got to find some way to kind of capture half of that audience and the- they-, they consider it a success. Yeah, I mean, for sh- I think, like, I'm glad to see, like, Kimmel's there as the host this year. I feel like having him there, I think, I think ups our chances of them having this reference in a joking fashion. Yeah, I mean, Kimmel is a safe bet, right? Everyone's, everyone likes him. He's hosted shows before. He's used to the flack that comes after the shows inevitably. So, and I think most of the celebrities there have a relationship with him just because they've been on his show or they know who he is. So, I don't know. He, he is an expert at writing jokes for network TV, in pri- and I think he's going to have to do the same for this. So, we'll see. No Will Smith in attendance, though. That's the one thing we have guaranteed. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, Smith's not going to be there for a while, but let's talk about yeah. some of these nominees here. We got a lot of Best Picture nods, a lot of people on the board here. So, like, you're, as the movie guy, what's your thought on this crop of movies we got on the award list? Uh, my, my overall crop is that I'm not too, too impressed with the movies that I've seen thus far. I think just for context standpoint, um, I've seen seven of the ten Best Pictures, as well as a sprinkling of the other categories as well. Um, you, you were telling me before we started recording, you've seen nine out of the ten. You're ahead of me in this game. Yeah, well, I had I had to, you know, sort of get try was have my homework done in time for talk to you. That's that's fair. Um, but so my I have seven out of ten left. 
or seven out of the ten done. Uh, my big thing, Mike, is I watch a lot of movies on the train. I'm trying not to watch Best Picture nominees on my phone, so I'm trying to find time at home to watch these. But I have my schedule planned out. I'll have them all done, and um, I know a bit about them. So overall, though, the movies, fine. Not a lot of outstanding movies, in my opinion. And to be fair, the frontrunners, here's a little spoiler, not a biggest fan of the frontrunners either in terms of the odds to win Best Picture. So... I'm a little bit let down, but with that being said, I think there are some hidden gems in there that are being underappreciated. Yeah, I know for one, I'll get to in terms like one that you have not seen, I feel like it's a hidden in the hidden gem category. I feel like we might I don't think it's gonna be a year that we're getting like a surprise at like Coda last year winning. I feel like we're getting like more one of the uh like safer picks is gonna be the winner this year for best picture. Uh yeah, I, there's not as many uplifting movies like Coda, if you will. Coda had a happy ending, it was a family film, it was people coming together and unifying for a big message, and there were happy tears at the end. There aren't many of those movies. Oh, no. <laughs> um, in fact, though, The Front Runner is one of those movies, so that maybe that's why it's leading the pack as of today. Um, but there aren't that many vibrant and happy movies in terms of uh, this year's nominees. Yeah, for sure here. So I, we always talked this last year. Like, that's some snubs. Obviously, last year, the big one was Denny Villeneuve not being nominated for Best Director. You know, Doom was nominated for every single technical category ever. So, like, what are the snubs this year for you? I mean, Mike, where the fuck is Nope? Like... <laughs> Jordan Peele is one of the best young filmmakers in Hollywood. All the critics love the movie. Like, it got conversation after the fact. Uh, and it's nowhere. It's literally nowhere. Okay. Nowhere in the nominations. Um, and I think that's kind of, that's definitely a miss. Personally, I think the Batman deserved more nominations. I thought that that was um, a worthy nominee just because it was a fantastic superhero movie. at the best of the year based off the reviews and stuff like that. So I think that's a big miss. Um, and for me, in terms of like a movie that had the technical uh, aspect and bringing everything together, it was a long journey. It was a passion project. Um, where is Joseph Kaczynski in terms of best director for Top Gun Maverick? One of the best movies of the year, the biggest box office success, resurrected the, the movie theater industry, and he's nowhere to be found in the best director category. I have a big gripe with that. Yeah, I feel like the problem I have with some of these, like the, the Academy selectors here, I feel like they're very much like they don't like to give the awards to like the popcorn movies where they get the audience come in to see them. I feel like Nope sort of fell in that category for them in terms of like it was much more popular. And they, they like to go like, we're looking for the obscure, like heavy, like acting movies that like get our attention for artistry as opposed to like what the general audience actually likes. So I feel like that's like stuff like Kaczynski doesn't get nominated stuff for reasons like that. Can you say that, though? I mean, I, I agree with you that the Oscar does tend to, to go towards the movies that nobody can see or has seen before. Like, everyone's talking about The Whale, but where do you watch The Whale? <laughs> I talked to a buddy who had to illegally download it and stream it on Discord in order to watch it. And everyone's like, Brandon Fraser's going to win. I was like, great, I love to watch the movie without having to pay an exorbitant fee or just illegally download it. Um, but in, in terms of, like, the pic like Best Picture nominees, you have Top Gun Maverick over a billion. Avatar The Way of Water going to maybe be the number biggest grossing movie of all time, possibly, if it just keeps on going. So there are some, like, audience favorites in here if you look fiscally. But in terms of, like, when you get down to the more nitty-gritty categories, it kind of dwindles back to the more indie and the more Sundance and that kind of more uh, deeper movie, quote-unquote. Yeah, for sure here. Let's go into some of these categories here. In terms of the technical categories here, like, there are a bunch of these. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. Which one attracts your attention the most? I think the film editing category is very interesting, Mike. Um, just quickly going through the five, you got the Banshees of Inisherin, you got Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Tar, and Top Gun Maverick. 
I think that this category is going to say a lot about what the night is going to hold. Um, first of all, this this list has two my two favorite movies of the year, Top Gun, Maverick, and Tar. They're my two favorite movies. But I think this category is huge for everything, everywhere, all at once. First of all, Mike, before we get into that too much, what did you think of everything, everywhere, all at once? Uh, the audience darling this year, and now the critics are also getting on it as well. I love that movie very much. I've, like I said, like I was very much into it. I like the aspects that Michelle Yeoh has to play in that movie. Kehi Kwan, I think, is had a great performance in it as well. Plus, I thought, especially coming a year where we're all about the multiverse, and we saw how terribly Doctor Strange 2 did at it, the fact that we got a good multiverse movie, it was not a sci-fi drama. It was very exciting for me. I didn't love it. I didn't love it. I gave it a B. It's not one of my top ten. Um, I thought the Everything Everywhere All at Once was trying to be too many things at once. It was trying to be a multiverse movie. It was trying to be an anime movie. It was trying to be a family drama. It was trying to bring together a bunch of different things that culture cares about all at once and make it one coherent story, which for the most part, you understood what was going on, but it never sat still to let the things simmer on you. Um, Is that a pun of so the hot dog fingers? I, I hated the hot dog fingers. <laughs> I, I, the the dildo fight scene was too much for me. Once I saw the hot dog fingers, though, I was out. I was like, "This is just not a movie for me." Yeah. It's it, frankly, it's too imaginative. Like it takes too many leaps and bounds. There there are huge moments where like big mother daughter conversations are happening, and then the grandfather in a wheelchair will come storming in and crash through walls and just delay any emotional feeling that you're having. You can't sit still and let the emotions kind of weigh on you. Um, that was my problem with it. But in terms of the film editing, it's fantastic. I admit that the movie is exceptionally well crafted, just subjectively, it's not my favorite type of movie. So with this category in film editing, if everything everywhere all at once wins, I think that is going to be massive movement for it to win best picture and momentum for it going forward. But if it doesn't, then things get very interesting for the rest of the evening, I think. So I think this one if it's announced early, is going to be a big forebear for what's to come the rest of the night. Yeah, I think in terms of the non-traditional categories, I think the one I'm most excited for, obviously, is I think Best Original Song has some heavy hitters in it this year, too. Okay, so I've only seen, I think, three of the five movies nominated in it, and I have a rule that I don't listen to the song unless I've seen it in the context of the movie. So, what are your thoughts on the original song category? I think obviously, I think obviously, I think like "Hold My Hand" from Taka Maverick. I think is obviously be the, the sentimental favorite. People love it here, but Rihanna's "Lift Me Up" from Black Panther too. I think is also very good. I've heard. I mean, I heard good things about it. You get Rihanna with the halftime show, then you get her at the Oscars too. I mean, American culture may pass out if that's okay. the case. Um, but I, I mean, I heard good things about it. Black Panther: Wakanda is in my. It's on my phone to be downloaded and watched. I'm, it has three nominations. I got to see it. But I don't know much about that category just because I haven't seen everything yet. Yeah. My personal vote, I would have voted Chao Papa uh, from Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which was snubbed in numerous categories because that song brought me to tears. <laughs> um, so that would have been my vote, but didn't even get nominated. All right, let's go on to some other categories here. Let's talk about Adapted Screen, which is a lot of fun because we have, obviously, Top Gun Maverick is in here. One of the few nominations for Glass Onion is in Night Dive Mystery is in there. Also, All Quiet on the Western Front is in there. So I think there's a lot of heavy hitters in this one, too. There are. There are. I was shocked Top Gun Maverick got in here, to be honest with you. Um, I love the movie, Mike. Absolutely love it. I don't know if it's necessarily for its screenplay. <laughs> like, 
I don't know if I'm like really remembering the dialogue and stuff like that. I'm re I'm remembering the moments. I'm remembering the songs and the score. Jennifer Connelly being beautiful and Tom Cruise being the man. But I don't know if I would have had it in the best adopted screenplay. I thought there were some better options that were left on the table. But you were talking before about how All Quiet on the Western Front is a dark horse and how people love it. It's up for a best adapted screenplay. If it wins this, maybe it makes a push for best picture. I mean, we'll get to that one in a minute. Best, like, All Quiet Western Front is a lock to win the best international feature because that's in that yeah. category too. So I feel like if it wins this one, you might be on the lookout here. Maybe it steals the best picture category. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the biggest shooting of all time that it wins Best International Feature. Like, hands down, yeah. without a doubt, put your house on it responsibly. Yeah, all right. Off next here, original screenplay. You mentioned here, you've seen four of the five here. It's Banshees at Knees, Sheeran, Everything Ever All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. I think it's a fun category, too. This is a fantastic category. Fantastic. Um... Well, first of all, what were your thoughts on the Banshees of Inisherin, the new Martin McDonough movie? I thought it was fun. I thought it was. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. So while I think the acting was superb, I didn't think the screenplay was that great. I already made my my qualms about everything ever all at once. The Fablemans is on my list. Um, I'm just not super excited to watch it because I I have the same feelings that I have with Steven Spielberg's The Post. It's going to be good. I'm going to like it. I'm just not very excited. Yeah. And then we have Tar. And Triangle of Sadness, two incredibly interesting movies, Mike. Yeah. Very interesting watches. What were your thoughts on Tar and Triangle of Sadness? They were both very good. Triangle of Sadness, I think, fits more of this category for me because the way they went with the story was wild. The story is absolutely crazy. Yeah. It's it's absolutely nuts. But for me, it's Tar. Yeah. Tar, they Todd Fields created a world where people thought that Kate Blanchett's Lydia Tar was a real person. Like, they went and looked her up as if this was based off a true story. He created a world that people thought was real. They recreated a character that people Googled because they thought it was real. That's a testament not only to Kate Blanchett's talent, Tafiel as a director, but also as a writer. There was so much lingo brought in from the maestro community or whatever, that, a community that I never thought I would have any interest in, yet when I was done with that movie, I wanted to be sucked in to those orchestra pits, and I wanted to learn more about that world. So for me, it's tar with this original screenplay because he tackles a world nobody knew anything about. Incredibly unique take. The ending was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And it allowed Kate Blanchett to give what was, in my opinion, the best performance of the year. So that's why I'm going to go with tar for best original screenplay. Yeah, that's for sure here. We'll go now to uh, best sound, I think, is a lot of fun here because you meant these categories number here, all quiet on the Western Front. Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, Elvis, and Top Gun Maverick here. I remember we talked about this category a few years ago. What was the movie about the uh, singer who was going deaf? Uh, Sound of Metal. Yeah, that one I remember was a big like, best sound winner here. This one, four of the five you've seen, the fifth might also be a good candidate for that this award as well. Yeah, this one's interesting. Um, the thing is, Elvis being nominated is going to get nominated because it's a musical and it's, it, people seem to like it. I didn't think it was that good i thought austin butler was good uh what did you think of elvis austin butler and then i'm curious what you thought of tom hanks as well oh tom hanks was bad in that movie i think he we, was so bad we should have like what was this oversight by us we did the lps of 2022 pop culture tom hanks should have been in that category <laughs> i mean he should have been between this and pinocchio good lord tom hanks uh bad come year. on man bad year um so elvis is not getting my vote sorry <laughs> terribly sorry 
Um, in terms of the Batman, love the movie, though I think of the score more than I think of the sound. Although, I go and rewatch that car chase scene probably at least once every two months because one of my favorite scenes of the year. Um, for me, it's, it's between Avatar The Way of Water and Top Gun Maverick because I've seen those two. And it's Top Gun Maverick, baby. Yep. You get those jets, you get those swooshing in the air. My heart gets racing, my my nostalgia gets cruising. It's in the need for speed, incredible to capture all that, not only on a video, but also the sound. You felt like you were in the jet with the people. You can watch this movie in theaters, you're ready to fly a thousand miles per hour and reach Mach 10. So I'm going to go with Top Gun Maverick on this, though I can understand from a war movie standpoint, All Quiet on the Western Front, those typically do very well in categories like this. Yeah, I also got to mention a technical category. I think the bigger lock than All Quiet on the Western Front winning international film is Avatar The Way of Water is winning the visual effects, like running away. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even consider anything else in, in that category. Again, yeah. absolute shoo-in. What do you, you think of Avatar the, the Way of Water? It works very well. I met the second. I met the second hour. There were points I like, sort of like getting lost the plot, sort of watching the screen, going like, "Ooh, this looks cool." You kind of forget what you're doing yeah. here. Um, I, I mean, I thought, I thought the last hour of the Way of Water was James Cameron politely telling everyone to suck it yeah. and be like, "I still got it," because that was that was an hour long war movie with blue people. And you were invested in every single moment. It was James Cameron reaching back into his bag with T2 and just those classic action scenes, inventive kills, unique visuals, maybe a little bit too much of kids being handcuffed to the railing. He went to went back to that a couple times. But uh, in terms of like the visual effects and also the sound, Way of Water is great. But for this category here, I'm still leaning with Tom Cruise and Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, my one critique of the movie was that they did a bad job sort of telling us the names of his two sons. That was it sort of hurt me. Oh. I, was tr- I was trying to like, oh, yeah. figure out who, wait who wait who's the one who died and like yeah, I, I don't remember any 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 of the people's names. You're not there for the names. It, you're there for the visuals and there for James Cameron putting something in front of your eyeballs that you've never seen before. Plus, in terms of visual effects, T.A. Sigourney Weaver is wild. <laughs> I thought she did fine. Um, I was a little bit bummed we didn't like learn why her character is so mysteriously connected to Mother Nature. Um, but Pandora still has mysteries for us to unfold, and we're going to meet the Fire Nation in the third Avatar movie, and hopefully we'll get more answers about. I think her name is Kiki uh, in the third one. Yeah, if I might, if I said Fire Nation, it remind you of like the act of the Avatar cartoon. That seriously, it's based off that, right? No, I don't think. I so. mean. We can't dance. I know it's not, but like we can't dance around it anymore. If the Fire Nation is the evil people, <laughs> I mean, we had we had like, we're going through. We have Toph. It was Toph was basically the first movie. Then you got the second movie. You got the Waterbenders. You go into the Firebenders in the third one. The fourth one's going to be in the clouds, yeah. and it's going to be the Airbenders. And the fifth one's going to bring them all together. Like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's for sure. Here, let's get some of the acting categories. Our best supporting actor. You got Brendan Gleeson from Banshees and Sharon. Brian Tyree Henry from Causeway, Judd Hirsch from The Fablemans, Barry Cogan and the Banshees of Sharon, and Kehi Kwan from Everything Everywhere All at Once. So this, what do you think about this category? One, I was so happy Brian Tyree Henry got nominated. Have you seen Causeway? It was on Apple TV+. Plus. I have not seen I've not seen that. I know I, I saw him pop up in the uh, Bullet Train in a weird spot. Bullet Train was interesting. I thought, <laughs> Aaron, I thought Aaron Taylor Johnson was great. Yeah. Um, the movie, though, not good. Um, was disappointed by it. But anyways, back to Causeway. Strong recommended watching Causeway. It's Brian Tyree Henry and Jennifer Lawrence putting on an actor's clinic. 
in a movie that doesn't have a ton of plot, but you still are invested in every minute. So I was stoked to see to see him get nominated, though I don't think he has a chance of winning. Um, I mean, I think Hugh Kwan's going to win because of his story. People love him. He's won pretty much everything. Though he wouldn't be my vote, I would vote for uh, Barry Keegan for Banshee's of Sheeran because his character is tragic, and he I, he's the one thing I remember most from that movie. But Kihu Kwan is going to win for everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, I feel like Zanabal is uh, last year's supporting actor going to Coda. Yeah, again, I, I think last year's performances, I think this year's crop of best supporting actors, I don't think there are that many unbelievable performances. Like, I think back to J.K. Simmons and Whiplash, where... Like, he could have gone up against the best actors and won just because of what he did. None of these performances like were like, you have to see it absolutely 100%. They're all, they're all very good. And for me, it's just personal preference. Yeah, absolutely. Go to Best Sporting Actors here. No, you haven't seen Black Panther 2 yet, but, like, you have, you acknowledge this, too. Angela Bass is winning this award. And I would say, I haven't seen the movie, I would concur. They said she deserves this award. Jamie Lee Curtis won at the SAG Awards. Yeah. So it might not be as, so, as etched in stone as you think, but I agree with you. I do agree that Angela Bass is going to take this one home. I think this is the chance where Black Panther is going to get its award because I'm not entirely sure if it's going to win for Best Original Song. I think this is it's more sure bet. Yeah. I mean, this would be something, too, and like probably one of the worst years that Marvel had in terms of content. They, they win an Oscar this year. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, but she's the one who carries that movie from everything I've heard. Um, I didn't realize that Wakanda Forever is over two and a half hours long. So that's going to be an investment for me on a couple train rides. But if she's as good as everyone says she is, she'll make the time fly. Oh, she's great. She carries that movie when, like, in terms of like her character being like. Because I think mean, I'll spoil a little bit for you in terms of the beginning of the movie that like basically after uh, T'Challa dies that she ends up taking over like as the leader of Wakanda again. She's the leader of Wakanda again in the movie, and like her, her acting in that role was very, very, very awesome. I'm I'm excited for it. I'm excited for good acting. So we'll see. Again, I think she would give a great speech. She would give some membric to, to Chadwick Boseman as well, and everyone would cheer about that. So, I, I think I think we're I think we're in store for that. Yeah. Next up here, best actor here. I know this is the one you want to rant about, the fact that the whale's not available really anywhere. Freaking man, I just want to watch it. Like, Darren Aronofsky, love him or hate him, he makes interesting movies. I just want to watch this movie. I can't find it anywhere. I, I'm, not, I'm, try, I'm not trying to illegally download stuff anymore. I'm not in high school. Just let me watch the movie. Let me buy it for $10. Rent it for $10 even. But everywhere is like 20 bucks are not available. So I've only seen Austin Butler and Colin Farrell. Those, those are the only ones I could talk about. Yeah. Yeah, so of those two, who would you pick? I basically, that's exactly who I've seen as well in this category. Yeah, I, I would go with Colin Farrell just because, frankly, I think both these performances are very good. Um, Colin Farrell blends a bit of humanity and comedy with the screenplay that Martin McDonough wrote. Um, Austin Butler just basically is under the microscope the entire Baz Luhrmann movie of Elvis, and he's still able to shine through. So it's kind of a tiebreaker, and I'm going with the movie that I liked more, The Banshees of Uh That's pretty much what I'm going for, even though I think if Butler were to win the Academy Award, it would vault his career and make him more popular than he's already become, which would be good to create a new Hollywood star with a trophy already in hand. But Colin Farrell's had, had, had a hell of a career, and he gives a hell of performance. So I'm going with Banshees and Colin Farrell. Yeah, if I, if I had to pick on my head, I'd go with Austin Butler for this category. All right. I mean, I can't, can't argue against it. Like, Austin Butler in the, uh, I think it was the 68 comeback special for Elvis when he sings. Yeah. Unbelievable scene. T- probably top five scene for me this year in terms of, like, just glued to the TV watching it. 
But you want to know why? There weren't many cuts in that scene. Yeah. That Baz Luhrmann wasn't on the chopping room floor going every half millisecond showing you a different angle of something. He just let Butler cook, and guess what? It worked. Yeah. So... That my, that says my thoughts about Elvis as well. Uh, Butler still was able to shine through. He was very good. Uh, best actress. Now, I think you and I are both agreeing here. This is the Kate Blanchett versus Michelle Yeoh category. These are the only two I've seen. This is the only two I care about. Yeah. What are your thoughts before I get into mine between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh? I would be happy with either one of them. One, I think Kate Blanchett was better. I'm glad that we agree. <laughs> I thought I was going to have to fight you a little bit. Yeah. But... I'm glad. I'm glad that you agree. Um, well, what What about Kate Blanchett's performance? Do you, Did you like the most? I just like the fact that, like, she really. I mean, I give Michelle Yeoh credit also because she's basically playing fifty different versions of one character in this movie, which is a very difficult task. But like, Kate Blanchett really like dives deep into like this psyche of this character, and like, like you said, she gets people to believe that this is based off a real person. The point where we have people going on the internet and googling who is Lydia Targ. Yeah, I I can't unsee the scene of her teaching at Juilliard. I believe. When she's belittling that student for having thoughts about certain composer who followed illegitimate children. And she's just belittling him and tire and just digging nails into him and tearing apart his soul until he leaves. That scene of her monologuing in that cavern of a classroom sticks with me maybe more than any scene I've seen this year. Incredible yeah. stuff. And sorry, Michelle Yo, you have no scene like that. Every scene that Michelle Yeoh was great in, in Everything Everywhere All at Once, or at least the ones that I remember her in, Kehu Kwan was also in it. Kehu Kwan, sorry. And he was better than Michelle Yeoh in those scenes. Like when he says uh, near the end, in a different world or a different life, I would have liked doing taxes and running a laundromat with you. That was his scene. Yeah. It wasn't Michelle Yeoh's. So that's why I got to go Kate Banchet here for Best Actress. Yeah, I think she's going to win. That was put my money on it. I feel like Michelle Yeoh is a, is a sentiment for like a lifetime. She was sort of like best act, like the best actress win, but I think it's going to keep Blanchett. She'll still get that moment if her film wins best picture. Cause she'll get to speak on it for sure. Yeah. Cause I feel like this is also sort of like the moment we had back, I think like in 2016 when we were trying to see whether Sylvester Stallone would be best act supporting actor for Creed. Right. I think that I, I think Michelle Yeoh has a better chance with that than right. Than Sylvester Stallone did though. Yeah, because I remember that one. I was one of the, like one of the ones I was really invested in. I was disappointed he did not win, but I understood why. Right. Yeah. All right. Next up here, best director. I've seen all five of these here. You have not seen the Palemans yet. This is Martin McDonough, the Daniels for everything I wrote one, Steven Spielberg, Todd Field, and Ruben Osland. Interesting crew here. Again, haven't seen the Feldmans. Uh Shame on me, but Spielberg doesn't really make bad movies. Hell of a run for him between West Side Story and the Fablemans. So he, he's cooking with gas right now. Um, but for me, going through this, I think for the record, I think the Daniels are going to win. But I would go with Todd Field for, again, creating a universe that people thought was real, allowing Kate Blanchett to cook. And he also wrote the movie as well. I got to go with Todd Field here, though I don't think you should put any money on it or really think he's going to win because I think this is the the Daniels to lose. Yeah, I mean, like you said, if the Daniels are winning film editing here, I think the Daniels are getting the best director too. Correct. Absolutely, 100%. There's a correlation there. Absolutely. And last but not least here, the best picture award ones here, though. The Titan nominees are now All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar the Way of Water, Banshees at Nice Sharon, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, the Failmans, Tar, Top Gun, Maverick, Triangle of Sanders, Women Talking. I want to say, like, when the knobs came out, I was proud of myself that I'd seen three of the ten before we even got to the at this point. 
There you go. There you go. Admittedly, two of them were Top Gun Maverick and Elvis, but still. Hey, those still count. Yeah. Those still count. I should say, we talked about blockbusters uh, and how the Academy doesn't usually like to recognize them. I mentioned three of them. I should have been mentioning Elvis as well. Elvis made a crap ton of money and was immensely popular. Yeah. So you got Elvis, you got Avatar, and you got uh, Top Gun Maverick. You got those three. Th those are huge. Yep. And none of them are going to win, most likely. I would agree. None of them are going to win. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead here. Who do you, like, who do you think is going to win? You think this is an everything, everywhere, all at once sort of like uh, on lock here? You think one of the other ones is a challenger? So right now, if you look at the betting odds, um, or if you just listen to podcasts or people talking or people writing, it's between everything all at once and the Banshees of Inisherin. Those are kind of the top two that I've seen. Um, I didn't love both of those movies. Um, I think everything, everything ever all at once winning would be a very cool story. Uh, even though it wasn't my personal favorite movie, I can understand why it's a capturing of the culture moment, if you will, um, and how the majority of people find something to connect with it and it really resonates with them and sticks with them. It just didn't for me. So I think everything everywhere all at once is going to win. Um, in terms of after that, I think the Banshees would maybe be second. I think, frankly, Top Gun Maverick might get third because people will cast it a bronze medal vote because Tom Cruise saved the movie theater industry and it was fantastic. But I think it's really between those two and I think everything everywhere all at once is going to take it. Yeah, I think everything all, everywhere all at once is my favorite here. I think the is it. Do you like it the most out of the ones that I, you've seen? I do. I put. I would put really. Yes, I did love that movie. I first when I, when I watched it, I was like, this one. It stuck with me the most of everything. Any way I watched this year. What? Why did it stick with you the most? What about it? I just felt like. What about it made you keep thinking about it? I like like the sort of like got me thinking the multiverse possibilities, like all all these different lives that Michelle Yeoh's character could be living here and seeing like. The performances of Katie Kwan also was really good. It sucked me in here. And I like, did like to seeing like all the ridiculous things, whether it's the hot dog lady or like her being an actress. Like all that stuff sort of like got me like sort of into it. I I just I don't I don't like the multiverse stuff. I think me and you just differ here. Um like for me, if I had to pick, I would be between Top Gun Maverick and Tar. And if you just we'll take Tar because Tar is the exact opposite of everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. It's a world that is made so realistic people think it's real. It's a world that focuses on just one thing about conducting an orchestra and being a maestro. It's complete opposite of everything everywhere all at once in terms of the vibrant colors versus the dull gray and blue of, of Todd Field's work. It's very interesting how our two favorite movies slash best made movies of the year are two polar opposite things. Yeah, it's very it's very fun that way. I will say though, like I'm telling you, all Quiet in the Western Front's a sleeper for me in this category. Listen, I'm very excited to watch it. Very excited to watch it, and I, I hope that I hope that it's great. Yeah, because um, I'll I'll be honest with you. You saw the original. I saw it in school back when I was in high school. I was bored. Yeah. So I'm hoping that this one doesn't give me the same thing. Now, granted, I watched it a long time ago, and my brain has changed since then, but. I, I'm very excited to watch it. Nine Oscar nominations is no slouch. Like it's incredibly, it's incredibly well acted here, and like I think, I think the subtitles do also add to the experience here. So I do think it's worth like keeping the subs on for this. Oh, oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. All right, here. So now that we have that wrapped up here, apart from the Oscar movies, what else? If you apart from the Best Picture sort of nominees here, what else have you been watching lately? Um. Well, let's see. Just 
chowing through some other Oscar nominations on my train where I don't feel bad about watching on my phone. Um, the documentary Fire of Love, which is, I think, on Hulu and maybe Disney+. Plus. It's, I don't want to call it a must-watch because that's, that's crazy, but it's a you should really, 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 really watch. Um, have you heard about The Fire of Love? Do you know what this movie's about? I have heard. I've not gotten to it yet. So, for those who don't know, it's nominated for Best Documentary. It's about two French volcanic scientists. They're married, and it's all archival footage about their life and what happened to them and what they do. And it's insane. It's insane, the archival footage. You have people standing in front of lava waterfalls, 10 feet away from it. Just absolutely insane. Um, so that was that's one that you should definitely watch. And then... I've, I've been getting into the animated short film game, and I've seen all five that are nominated, and I gotta tell you, one of my favorite movies of the year is called My Year of Dicks, <laughs> and it's, I swear, this is a real movie, it's incredible, it's a short animated film about a young woman who wants to lose her virginity, and trying to lose it to a bunch of different men of various ages, and, and backgrounds, and cultures, and Obviously, the, the title's a little bit of a double entendre because she, she, she wants the dick, but also because she's trying to get with dicks who are bad people. And it's a learning experience, and it's so personal and thought-provoking, and it, it made me think back to that time when all you thought about was sex and stuff like that back in high school. And I the, the courage to make a movie and tell your story like that, I, I think, takes big balls. And the way it's told, it sticks with me. And I swear to God, it's probably one of my 10 favorite movies of the year because with that title, I had no idea what to expect and it still blew me out of the water. That's good to know here. I throw, I throw a couple things out I've been watching lately. Obviously, I just got on The Last of Us train, so I'm very excited to see how that goes here. And in terms of, like, Stanko, are you a big mafia guy? I enjoy mafia things for sure. Yeah. If you have Peacock, I have a reality show I will recommend for you reality mafia show yes it's called the traitors on on there and it's a cast basically of 20 people hosted by alan cummings and they filmed at a castle in scotland and they have basically a bunch of reality people one with some average joes and they play basically glorify game mafia with like th three traitors in the mix and 17 faithfuls and they play it out over 10 episodes it is fantastic i just saw a clip from this no joke it, like it, five it, minutes before i got on with you there's, there, there's an old Bachelor person on it, right? Yeah, Ari, Ari's I think? On, yeah, Ari's on it. They have a couple of people from Survivor on. It's a couple of people from Big Brother. There's people from, like, I think Brandy Glanville's on it. There's a whole, like, interesting group of people there. Yeah, it's... Okay, so I, I have heard of this. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was a reality show. I didn't know it was on Peacock. But I may have to give it a shot because someone was telling Ari that, that, he, that he sucks and that she hated him when she was on his season or something like that. I don't know. There's some drama that was involved with the Bachelor universe, so I was intrigued. So now I might have to check it out. Yeah, Ryan Lochte's on this show. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, okay. <laughs> yeah, like I said, there's a lot of big names on this show. And it's, um, so, it's so, so funny. Martin Collins is in his bag. <laughs> all right, well, hey, I mean, all the power to you if you can find another reality TV show. The only one I watch is The Bachelor, and Zach Shalcross is getting himself into some drama. Yeah. But the last, the last of us band, me and Emma are up to date, and you got to keep on watching because the show is incredible. I also ask you, did you give Kaleidoscope a shot on Netflix? No, it's in my queue. It's in my queue. I haven't watched yet, but I've heard only good things. 
it's a lot of fun. I did enjoy the experience. I did call up my own random order because I know they sort of had their way you can gain the system here. Like, yeah, if you want after the show, I will tell you my personal order that I, that I recommend watching the show in. Yeah, sure, for sure. Um, is it a show that you could watch in the background while doing something else, or do you need to focus on it one hundred ten percent? If you want to get all the clues, you kind of have to focus in on it. Okay. Yeah, because like they will, like there will be stuff that pays off, and like because each episode is named by a color. Basically, yep. so like there will be stuff that pays off. They mentioned like one episode takes place like twenty five years before that pays off. I think in the in the heist episode. So okay, all right. Well, I can watch all right while I'm riding the bike, but yeah. that's good to know. Yeah, that's that's. I recommend that as well. So like, it's not the greatest prem. Like, the premises they did not warrant necessarily. Like you know, I think the gimmick sort of used to draw people in, but the show is fun. Hey, as long as as long as it's funny, you're not bored while watching it. Then all the power to you. Yeah. Entertainment subjective. Have a good time. All right, and last but not least here, we talk about the movies here, because obviously you're the big movie guy. We're going to get back at some point this summer talking about, you know, the upcoming summer movie season. But, like, the next, like, month or so, what, are you, what movies are you looking forward to? Listen, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good movies coming out, and we're talking about the Oscars, right? We're talking about critically revered, Oscars going, uh, actors going for awards, we're going for cinematography, right? That's what we're talking about. Yep. But sometimes you just got to watch some slop. Sometimes you just got to watch something that's going to get your juices going and just makes you smile and happy. The first we got Creed 3. It's probably not going to win any awards next year, but hell, you're going to watch Michael B. Jordan kick the shit out of Jonathan Majors and hopefully a fantastic trilogy. You got a moment too, Jonathan Majors. Oh my God, a huge moment. Absolutely. (laughs) Michael B. Jordan came into the Barstool office last week. One, stunningly handsome man. Two, I've never seen so many women try and sneak a photo of mine. <laughs> oh my God. It was as if the phone paparazzi was out there walking into the one room that he was having an interview in. And it was as if like Shutterfly had hired a thousand photographers to take photos that day. It was nuts. Though they weren't allowed to post any of them until after the interview aired, but it was crazy. Um, so there's Creed 3. Uh, listen, I'm excited for Scream 6. Ghostface in New York. The trailers have been dope. Ghostface has a shotgun. I'm all in for some horror movies. I plan on watching, rewatching all the screen movies. So, in for that. 65, Adam Driver killing dinosaurs with a halo-looking gun. Yeah, color me excited. This movie came on during the Super Bowl, and a bunch of people were like, what the fuck was that? And I was, I mean, I was like, that's 65. You're going to have a good time. Yeah. And then we got John Wick Chapter 4. Mike, you already know I'm a huge fan. Love the franchise. Just give me the high table. Because John Wick's going to jump on top of it and shoot shoot a bunch of people in the head. And I'm going to cheer the entire time. And the last one, because I'm kind of a nerd, Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. I think it looks fun. It probably isn't going to be very good. But <laughs> Chris Pine being a sassy little robber, if you will, a, a gallivanting across the land with uh, with thieves and, and mages and goblins. Yeah, I'm excited. Let him battle some giants. Let him save the world. I don't care. I recently watched Vox Machina season one. Had a fantastic time with the Dungeons and Dragons vibe. Now give me a real motion picture. Yes, I'm all in. Yeah, so let me ask you a question. What do you think is going to end up being better? Uh, Dungeons and Dragons or the Super Mario movie? I think the Super Mario movie is going to make billion, over a billion dollars. But I think I'm going to have a better time watching Dungeons and Dragons, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's going to make sense. My second question here, follow up here, is like, John Wick's going to take place in the, coming out in the middle of the NCAA tournament. You're going to be up to your eyeballs in uh, work here. So, like, what city do you think you're going to be watching this movie in? Oh, March 24th, 
That is the second. No, is that the first play-in day? No, second, that's the second, second play-in day. Second weekend, yeah. I am going to be in Columbus, Ohio for four days, and then I come back Saturday nights, and then guess who has nothing going on on Sunday? This guy. This guy right here. So guess who's planning a dinner and movie date with his fiance? Yeah. This guy. We're going that Sunday after it comes out. Yeah, at, at the good old Alamo Draft House? No, we're going to go to the local movie theater that's a half mile down the road. Yeah. It sounds like a good time either way. I am very, listen, I'm very excited. I got Emma to like to like John Wick. So, yes, I, I'm very excited. Though I got to say, this, this year, the year 2022, Mike, was the year I went to the movie theaters the least amount of times, probably since I could drive, yep. I think. It's I don't know if I don't know if I'm changing. I don't know if the world's changing, but like I went to go see Avatar and I had to be I had to scream at kids to shut up for half the movie because they were literally throwing popcorn and talking behind me and I was getting hit by popcorn. Yeah. So I'm now an old grumpy old man who will most likely wait till streaming for movies that unless he really, really wants to see, I'm just gonna wait at home and watch at the cover of my living room. Yeah, like for example, like Shazam I wanna Shazam I wanna see, but I'm gonna wait for that one. Right. I'm just gonna wait for that, like as much as I love Scream 6, it's probably going to be on Paramount Plus within a month of it being on movie theaters, so i got to see when that's going to come out. Like, I'm excited for these movies, but I'm not excited to be stressed out going to a movie theater to see if I'm going to hate people or not when I come out. Yeah, so I think Creed 3 is probably the one I'm most excited for of this upcoming batch here. I'm curious to see how this does without, like, what this feels like without Stallone being involved at all. I mean... The, from the movie people at Barstool who got who saw the screener, they said it was better than Creed 2, but not as good as the first one. And they say it's a very, very good directorial debut for Michael B. Jordan. So that's that's the the TLDR review of, of Creed 3 from those who could speak about it softly. All right, so that's good to know because we, we ranked the Rocky movies on the podcast last week, and your rankings were part of the list, even though you were not able to physically be on the podcast. And you'd have, you did help push the list a little bit. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I mean... There's only one book, only one Rocky movie I'll never watch, and that's Rocky Five because it doesn't exist. So <laughs> otherwise, I'll watch every single other one. I, I'll watch them all if they're on TV or something like that. Yeah, Rocky Five is a fever dream. Rocky Five is how and why did that movie get made? Someone needs to make a 25 minute expose on on what went on behind the scenes during that movie. I I, I will never get it. Yeah, I won't. I won't either, John. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate. It. People, I'll follow you on social media. Hear some of your uh, musings on the movies. How can I do that? Musings on movies. I like that. I might take that one. Um, you could follow me on stankostance.com. Um, almost going on a year of posting something every day, whether it be nonsense or not. Um, and then on Twitter, on my social media handles at jstanko99. Absolutely, John. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. All right, and that will do for this week's show. I want to thank my guest, Zach Brazilla, for coming on to break down the college basketball scenes to get ready for champ week here. I also want to thank John Stanko for previewing the Oscar, which are, by the way, on Sunday here. So all our coverage here, that's going to be a lot of fun talking to those two as well. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including why the pitch clock is the greatest idea baseball's had in a long time, check out the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. You can get early access to the Mandalorian coverage here. We put those out on the Sky Guys day after release. You have to wait a couple of days there on this feed. So if you want that stuff right. Plus, exclusive coverage of Bad Batch as the season there is starting to wind down. Check out the Sky Guys. Same podcast plans mentioned at the top of the show. Also follow me on Twitter, mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. 
And that's going to do it for us this week here on the podcast. Coming up next week on the show, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to dive into March Madness, full details here. Break down the brackets, who got snubbed, who has a chance to get to the Final Four, and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.